One of the questions that you may have been asked at some point in your life by somebody who maybe doesn't believe what you believe if you believe in God is that how can you believe a good God when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world? How can you believe in a good God when everything seems wrong? For some of us, that's a really important question to be asking. We need to wrestle with it. How can we believe that God is good when there is so much wrong in the world? We sang in the song just before, God is good, God is good. Do we mean it when we say it? Sometimes for us, a lot of our understanding of good and bad is about what we experience. So we have this idea that if good things, good things are happening to me, that must mean that God is good. So if good things plus me equals God is good, then ultimately it would mean that bad things plus me is God is not good. We infer that our experience is what's going to decide if God is good or God is not good. Depending on what we experience on day-to-day life, we'll go, well, this is good or this is bad, and we can wrestle with it. And so we get to a place where we can become disoriented and wonder, well, is God good at all? In the series that we're in, Are We There Yet?, we're talking about how do we handle living in such a time as this right now? It's kind of disorienting where COVID is a reality, where we've gone a year and a half or so with it, and it seems like things get better, and then we take a step back, and then it seems like it gets better, and then we take a couple more steps back, and we're disoriented because nothing seems to be done yet, and we're waiting for it to be done. And for some of us, we can ask the question, well, where is a good God at a time of a pandemic? And we can wonder that sincerely and wonder why it might be that this isn't resolved yet if God is so good. When our circumstances, when our experiences are not good, it's easy for us to decide that God is also not good. But that's not a very fair judgment on God. That's not a very fair judgment on God because sometimes our definitions of good and bad are different than what his intentions are in the moment. For a lot of us, we can, we can wonder this and we can wrestle with it because everything around us seems like it's just not good. In 1851, there was this excellent quote that was written that's going to be on the screen, and it says, I am overwhelmed by a sense of the goodness of God. In 1851, Alan Gardner wrote this in his journal. It was the last entry that he had in his journal. It was the last entry because he died after he wrote it. And the way he died wasn't so pleasant. He was uh, a naval captain, and he desired to become a missionary, so he was with others, and they were going to go on a mission by sea when they became shipwrecked and stranded on an island. And as he recorded in his journal, they starved to death. One by one, they were dying. He had a family at home, he had children and a wife, and he was writing in his journal, and his last entry was that in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of the reality of his life going to be ending, he was overwhelmed by the goodness of God. 
If God's goodness is dependent on my circumstances, then God surely is not good. But God's goodness might be so much more than what you and I experience on a day-to-day level. And because it's so much more, we can move past those feelings, frustration, of anger at times, of sadness, when our ideas of how things should be working out don't work out, and embrace what God has for us in the midst of those times. One of the writers of Scripture, I think, exhibited this well is the writer Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet in the Old Testament. Some of us might not be as familiar with Habakkuk. Uh, Julian and I joked this week that sometimes there's little books in the Old Testament that you could pretend like are made up and no one would have any idea, but Habakkuk is a real book in the Bible. Habakkuk was a prophet, so he was an individual who was speaking for God and with God into a time when something was going on. And it occurred about 700 years before the birth of Christ, at a time when the southern kingdom of, of God, southern kingdom of Israel, was in turmoil because they were living completely separate from the God who called them his people. They were people who were committing injustices. They were committing crimes against each other. They were not worshiping God. They were living in a way that was completely contrary to what God wanted them to be doing. And in that time, when everything seemed wrong, there were people like Habakkuk. People who tried to remain faithful to God in understanding of what God desired for them and tried to live in that way in a world that was completely disorienting to them. And they would wonder, God, why is this happening? Why can't things be better? And in Habakkuk, there's this uh, dialogue between God and Habakkuk, and it's in the form of a lament. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about lament, and that's how it's sometimes our expression of sorrow, of frustration to God, and it's an important aspect of our faith. That in times that are disorienting, and times that are a struggle, we need to be open about that with God. And in this expression of lament, where he offers his complaint to God, he begins in chapter 1 and says, God, uh, look at your people. Look at what they're doing. They're committing injustices. They're cheating each other. They're, they're committing sexual morality. They're, they're ignoring your law. Look at them. Why don't you do something, God? And to which, this is my summary, God responds, I am going to do something. I'm going to send Babylon, and they're going to conquer you. To which, Habakkuk responds, no, not Babylon. They're even worse than us. Why would you do that, God? Why would you allow these people who are so much worse than us to inflict punishment on us? I mean, I know we're not paying attention to you. I know we're completely ignoring you. But why would you use these people? To which God responds again, and says, okay, I have a vision for you. And in this vision, he expresses that, yeah, Babylon is awful. They are contrary to what God desires of people. But God's going to use what God's going to use, and God has a bigger picture in mind than what we experience in that time of turmoil, in that time of suffering. And so as Habakkuk is receiving, and he gets a time when God will deal with Babylon as well. Just because it might seem like these awful people are going to be winning, it doesn't mean they will win in the end. That God is a God of justice, and God will make things right in time. 
And then that's the first two chapters of Habakkuk. And then you get into chapter 3, which is an expression of worship from Habakkuk himself. Some would say it's a prayer. Some would say it's a song. And in it, he expresses something deep and profound in the midst of his moments. Starting in chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. It says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He is expressing that he is experiencing this turmoil of what is about to happen. That they are going to be invaded and he feels it in his bones. He knows something horrible is going to happen. He knows something horrible is happening. And it feels awful. But he says, I will wait patiently, patiently for that day to be where they are taken care of. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He says, in the midst of this situation, as I feel this anxiety, as I feel this fear of what is to come, because he knows it's not going to be good. Babylon's going to invade. They're going to uh, take over this nation, and everything that he loved and he hoped for will be taken from him. He says, even though I know this is going to happen, I will patiently wait, because God is a God of justice, and he will bring justice to these invaders as well. And then he says that though there's no fig trees, they're not producing any figs, there's no grapes on the vine, there's no olive crop, the fields are not going to make food, there's no sheep, there's no cattle. This isn't just an expression. He's saying there's, there's nothing here. This is desolation. There's in a world that he lives in where you know, grapes on a vine were important so they could produce wine so they could make money, where cattle was important so they could have an income as well as food. They were in an economic crisis in the midst of the situation. He says, even though there is nothing here, even though the expression and the reality is that nothing good seems like it's happening in this moment, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk, in his expression, is sharing that even though things aren't right right now, he believes they will be at some point. Even though it looks like everything is working against him, at some point, things will be better. And because of that, he can still rejoice. He can still be joyful in God. For many of us, we find ourselves in moments and situations where it seems like everything is being mounted against us. 
Whether it could be in our school life, where it feels like our social circle is struggling, maybe it's because of COVID, maybe it's just because uh, we haven't made good connections at school and we feel like we are isolated and everyone's against us and it seems like the teachers are just piling more and more work on and we're overwhelmed. Or it could be in our work situations where it feels like our boss is out to get us. Maybe we have this sense that they're uh, jealous of us in some way because we're, we're good workers and they feel like they're threatened in their job, so it seems like everything that you do, they're using against you. Maybe it's in just in our friendships where it feels like we don't have anyone to confide in, anyone who really can be there for us, or even in our marriages where it feels like our spouse has become our enemy and we don't know why. We find ourselves in these kinds of situations where everything seems to be overwhelming us. And for many of us, we can look at these situations, feel overwhelmed, and say there's nothing to be rejoicing about. Bad situations and me means God is not good. And so we find ourselves in these places of despair, of turmoil, where our lament, our petition to God, our prayers just fade away because we feel like he's not going to listen because he hasn't listened yet. Something I heard a few weeks ago from uh, Timothy Keller, who's a pastor in New York, and I'm going to paraphrase him probably because he's doing a paraphrase, but he said something along the lines that just because God isn't answering your prayers the way you want him to doesn't mean he's not answering your prayers. That just because of what you bring to God, it doesn't come back to you the way you think it should. It doesn't come back to you that you've developed more friendships in the context of your classroom. It doesn't come back to you that your boss quits because they've decided that that you are too good for them and they want to give you the job and leave. It doesn't mean that those things, there isn't something that God is doing in them. When we are praying, when we are offering our petitions to God, are we expecting him to respond the way we think is best? Or are we willing to admit that maybe he's got something bigger in mind. For Habakkuk, when he brings his petition to God, he says, God, why are my people so evil? Why are your people so evil? All this injustice, all this wrong that they're doing. Why don't you step in and do something like you have in the past? And God says, well, actually I am. I'm going to let this invading army come in. Habakkuk's response is, no, that's not the way I want you to do that. That's not the right way to do it. The better way is you you show up and we have a conversation and, and you work it all out. But maybe God's got something bigger in mind. And so Habakkuk needed to trust that what God was going to do was better than what was happening in those moments. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do because we like our moments to be good. We like our moments to be refreshing. We like our moments to be positive. We like our moments to not have to be worried about. And so when these moments are happening and we're like, I can't see a solution, it becomes very hard to trust that God is working in them. And we start to wonder, God, why are we not there yet? Why is this not resolved? Why haven't we fixed this problem? And our prayers might just feel like they're being unanswered. Habakkuk does have a response to this. He does have a response to what do you do when it feels 
feels like God is not responding, when God is not doing things the way you want him to. And in his response, he is showing us a way forward as well. A way forward when it seems like everything is out to get you. When it seems like there is no good happening at all. And in a way that you can continue to trust that God is still good. Habakkuk, in his response, he he does something very, very important. He does three things, actually, that come out of this text that I just read, but also just the whole of chapter 3. The first thing is that there is repetition. He repeats things. He creates a pattern in his speech. We are people who like patterns, who like to create habits in our lives. And he creates in his text a prayer that is patterned of repetition, that he brings things to God over and over It becomes a discipline in his approach. In a time that we've been in for a year and a half, we have lost a lot of habits and disciplines and repeated aspects of our lives because everything's been disorienting. But Habakkuk is demonstrating in his disorienting time that through his repetition, he can maintain a confidence in God because he maintains an intimacy with God. For Habakkuk, it demonstrates itself through its prayer, that we find, especially in chapter 3, that he repeats over and over again different elements. But for us, it might look different in our creation of repetition. Maybe it's a different discipline that we can bring into our lives. Maybe it is prayer. Maybe it is reading Scripture. Maybe it's to come to church on Sundays. It's creating patterns and habits in our lives that maintain that relationship with God. As we experience a disorienting time like we have, as a world for a year for almost two years, we need to recreate patterns to maintain it. Patterns to keep ourselves from becoming disoriented. The second thing he does is he remembers. If you read through chapter 3, I just read those few verses there, but if you read through chapter 3, one of the things that Habakkuk is doing is he's recalling to God all the stuff that God has done. He's recalling to God, painting the picture of the Exodus account of God, of the God who rescues, and the God who is there for his people. And as he's remembering who God is, he can conclude with saying, but I will trust in God, that I will choose to rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God my Savior. That in his remembering, he can say, I have seen how God has acted. And because God has acted in a certain way in the past, I can trust him for my present and believe and have hope in him for my future. In the same way, we need to remember. We need to remember the times where we've seen God act in our lives. Maybe there were moments where there was a completely obvious moment where you were praying and the exact thing you were praying for was in line with what God had for you and it worked out perfectly. Maybe it was a praying for a relationship to be restored, and it happened. Maybe it was praying just for mercy in a moment where you felt overwhelmed and you were given this grace in the moment to feel peace. We need to remember how God has acted in the past so we can have confidence in our present that God is still good. And the third thing that Habakkuk does, and he says it very clearly, is rejoice. 
Habakkuk says that right in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now what rejoicing is, is it's an expression of joy. And we can think of it in a lot of different ways. And I believe that Habakkuk is expressing praise or worship towards God in that tone. That Habakkuk is saying that in the midst of this moment where I have petitioned to God and I said, God, things are not good. You need to fix it. And God said, well, I am, but you're not going to like the way I fixed it. And I said, no, I don't like the way you fixed it. And they have this back and forth that he is still going to praise God. He is still going to worship God, that God is worth the expression of his focus, of his identity in him. And he said, I will rejoice in the Lord. He is worshiping God. In the midst of a situation that doesn't seem like it's working out the way he wants it to, and it definitely isn't, and we know from history it did not work out the way he wanted to, that Babylon did take over the people of God, and he didn't live through it. He didn't get to see the freedom that he knew God was promising. The same freedom that we can find in Christ, Habakkuk did not get the opportunity to experience in his day. The same freedom that allows us to enter into a relationship with God because of what Christ has done on the cross, that he is our hope as we sang in songs before, the one who died and rose again for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for experiencing of life in his fullness. Habakkuk did not get to experience that fullness because Christ came many years later. But he knew and trusted that God was going to act. He didn't have the luxury of knowing the story of Jesus, but he had a hope and trust in a God who was going to act in his world even if he didn't experience it that day or for years to come. We have the opportunity to remember, to look back at what God has already done. He had the hope to look forward to what God did for all of us. And so he praises, he worships. And that's an important part because praise takes our focus Praise takes our focus off the problem at hand and places it on the problem solver. When we choose to worship God in the midst of a problem, it takes our focus away from the problem and puts it on the one who can actually make a difference in it, God. But when we choose to embrace our worry, our anxiety, our fear, we keep our focus on the problem. And we forget about the one who can change things. And it might not be that he changes things the way we want him to, or in the time we want him to, but he does. Just as he made a way for the people of Israel to come to know that their old way of doing things was done and that in Christ there was new life, the same new life he offers us in Christ He offers us new opportunities when we move our focus away from the problems and put them on him through our praise. If we want to keep moving forward in a disorienting time, we have to stop always focusing on what is wrong. And we have to focus on who can make a difference. And ultimately, that's God. And so Habakkuk, we see how he does that by developing his habits of repetition. 
through his prayer life and assume through other spiritual practice he had that we can develop, develop ourselves and through remembering what has happened in the past and continuously choosing to rejoice even when it wasn't easy. Today is Thanksgiving weekend. Gratitude is an expression of rejoicing. It is an expression of praise. When we choose to be grateful, again, we focus, we take our focus away from what we don't have onto what we do have. And in the same way that when we praise, we move from our problem to the problem solver, in gratitude, we take our focus away from what we wish to be different, what we wish we had, into what we do have and express gratitude for it and live in it. And it's in that gratitude that we can be praising God as well. Moving our focus from how we wish things were different to acknowledging this is the way they are, what good can we see? When we want to move forward in troubling, disorienting times, if we keep asking, are we there yet? If we keep wondering, why isn't it better? We're just going to be focused on the wrong things. And we need to shift that focus onto God, who can guide us through these times more than we realize. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are uh, the God who guides us. As Habakkuk remembers in his text, he he remembers how you long ago uh, were a, a pillar of smoke, a pillar of light at different points to guide your people through the desert. And in the same way, you are a guide to us, and we are guided by you through the Holy Spirit. And that in a time that is disorienting, where we're unsure how things should be, and we wonder why things are not better, you are still guiding us when we choose to put our focus on you instead of the problems that are around us. Holy Spirit, we need your guidance. We need your help to move past our problems and to focus on you, the problem solver. And I pray this morning for those of us who are online or watching later or here in the church building that we can honestly pray for your guidance in this. That we can pray for you to be that guide in our path in times where we don't know what to do. And that even when the answers are not coming back the way we want, we can, like Habakkuk, rejoice in you. Because we know you are good and we trust you. For those of us maybe right now, God, who are not feeling like you're good, maybe our circumstances have been such that we feel like you are not a good God. I pray that you can reach us where we are, whether it's through a friend, a loved one, through your word, through scripture, through a message from someone, to remind us that even though our circumstances are not the way we want them to be or what we think is good, your goodness is so much bigger than my present moment. And that in your goodness, it will last forever. That we can find you and experience that through Christ. I pray this morning that as we go on to our thanksgivings, whether we have it uh, with friends or family or maybe we are alone this year, we can find things to be grateful for, acknowledging and knowing that you are the giver of all good things. And we can put our hope and our trust in you for our present and our future 
even when our past seems to be a challenge. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or online. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. I look forward to saying hello to you in person. Uh, and next week we're going to be continuing the series. I hope you join us then. Have a great week.